theyeshiva.net. special story. The story was told by the rabbi of a city called Elizabeth in New Jersey. His name was Harav Pinchas Taitz. Rabbi Pinchas Taitz of blessed memory, who was a great Talmud Chachem, a great rabbi, a well-known leader here in America. Now today, people make trips from America to Russia, from Russia to America very frequently. But for many, many years, you know, there was what they used to call the Iron Curtain between Russia and the rest of the world. It was very difficult to travel back and forth. People who lived in Russia usually could not get out. And if you wanted to make a visit, it was a very complicated procedure. Communism then was very powerful and the communist regime in the Soviet Union had a held its citizens in a very very tough grip and to visit could be very dangerous one of the people who visited Russia in those difficult years was Rabbi Taitz Rabbi Taitz knew that Lubavitch Chabad has an underground network in Russia. Already from the days, as you know, of the Rebbe Rayats, and then continued by the Rebbe, there were underground secret schools, yeshivas, chadarim, mikvahs, shuls, svarim, get-togethers, fabrengens, all in secret. And the Rebbe had secret communication with many of his people in Russia 
although it was kept completely confidential because if any information would be exposed, the people could be severely punished. Even the letters were masked. The title that they used to use when they wanted to write a letter to the Rebbe was Zayda, to the grandfather. So that when the government, the censors would read their letters, it was written to the Zayda, to the grandfather. So they didn't have a suspicion that it's being written to a Rebbe, and never mind Schneerson, who were not looked at very positively in Russia, because of all the problems the Friedrich Rebbe gave them. And there was nothing involved in spreading Yiddishkeit and religion which was forbidden in communist Russia. So before Rabbi Taitz would go to Russia, he would always go into the Rebbe and receive from him requests or suggestions or instructions what to do, who to visit, what to bring to the country. Rabbi Taitz was not a chassid, not a chassid at all. But he was a close friend to the Rebbe and he tried to help any way he can the Russian Jews and in this case the Chabad Hasidim in Russia. Once, before such a journey, he went in to the Rebbe's room and he informed the Rebbe that he is soon going to travel to Russia and they spoke about different plans and different suggestions and then the Rebbe said to him I want to ask you for a favor sure and the Rebbe took out a Tanya and says please share this Tanya with the Hasidim that you will meet in Russia and tell them that this Tanya I sent with you Rabbi Tait said with pleasure no problem he takes the Tanya when he opens the Tanya he sees that the Rebbe actually wrote his name on his Tanya it was his personal Tanya that he was learning from a few days later he calls up Rabbi Chadakov, Rabbi Chaim Mordechai Isaac Chadakov, Olav HaSholem, was a personal secretary of the Rebbe. And he tells Rabbi Chadakov, please tell the Rebbe that I apologize, but I can't take the Tanya. Why? The expert that goes through everything I take to Russia to make sure it's kosher, looked at the Tanya, and when he opened it, he said, Rabbi Taitz, don't take this book. I said, why? He says, the Russians are going to open it. They're going to see. It says, Misifre, and the Rebbe's name and his last name, Schneerson. The Schneersons are persona non grata in Russia. They are not welcome there. They are considered to be great troublemakers. The Friedike Rebbe was arrested. The Schneersons are people that are illegal in Russia, and by you carrying a book from Schneerson, you can be arrested. You can be investigated. You can be punished. I don't know what can happen to you. Who knows? Don't take this book. So he tells this to Rabbi Chadikov. Rabbi Chadikov tells Rabbi Taitz, he says, Rabbi Taitz, do you think the Rebbe knows about the situation in Russia? He says, I know he knows about the situation in Russia. He grew up in Russia. Do you think he knows about what the Russians are capable of doing to the Schneersons? I think he knows about it. He knows what they did to his father, Reb Levi Yitzchak, what they did to his father-in-law, what they did to many other Schneersons, what they did to many other Hasidim of the Schneersons. So Rabbi Taitz, do you think the Rebbe would ask you to do something that would endanger your own life, he would give you something knowing that you can end up in prison or you can end up with many difficulties and challenges. You would think he would want to put you through this. Rabbi Taitz says, obviously not. So Rabbi Chadikov says, trust him. Trust him that he doesn't want you to suffer. Rabbi Taitz, although not being a chassid, can accept the logic of Rabbi Chadikov's argument and he said, okay, I'm going to take the Tanya. He takes the Tanya he travels to the Soviet Union and you have to realize how meetings took place. You couldn't 
sit down with somebody in shul and say, Hey, how are you? Shalom Aleichem, Aleichem Shalom. Because there were spies everywhere. In every official shul there were spies. So basically, in shul, as you were walking, and you saw somebody, and nobody was looking, you had to whisper, I'll meet you Tuesday, 7 o'clock in the morning in the park. And then you both went 7 o'clock in the morning to the park, and first, you were a half a mile away, and then you got closer, and you looked a hundred times every minute. If there's a car, if there's a person, and then you sat down on a bench for a few minutes, and you spoke, and you left. That's how meetings were arranged. Because of the intense danger, anybody who came from America, they were suspicious, they would follow him, and if he was meeting people, those people were under suspicion, and they could suffer terribly afterwards. Rabbi Taitz comes to Russia. In the first city he visited, whether it was Moscow or another city, he went to the shul, he met Chabad Hasidim, and he arranged with them in a very secret, almost sign language communication, that at this and this day, at this and this hour, he wants to meet them in this and this place. And so at that particular hour, a group of Chabadniks living in the Soviet Union came and they met him, and after validating and confirming that no strange eye was observing them, they finally met in this park in a remote location where nobody can see them for a few minutes. Rabbi Taitz turns to them and he says, Before I came here, I was by the Rebbe. And he asked me to share something with you. And Rabbi Taitz takes out the Tanya, and he says, the Rebbe asked me to share this Sefer with you. They looked at the Tanya. It's hard for us today to understand their response. But if you know a little bit about how life then was in Russia, and how cut off they were, you could understand it. One of them tells him, Rabbi Taitz, the Rebbe actually touched, touched this Tanya, he touched this Tanya with his holy hands. And Rabbi Taith says, not only did he touch the Tanya with his hands, but this is his own Tanya. He opens up the Tanya, shows them his name, and he gave it to me and asked me to share this Tanya with you and say that it's from him. And the person says, I did not go to the mikveh today. I'm not going to touch the Tanya. But somebody else, with great trepidation, took the Tanya. And for Rabbi Taitz, who was not a chassid, he said himself, it was very strange. Tanya is a holy book. It's a great sefer. But why the trepidation? Why the yira? Why the awe? And one of them took the Tanya with so much uh, respect and reverence. And slowly began to open its pages as though he just encountered a sacred object that he was waiting to touch his entire life. And he and the others started to turn to the pages, page after page after page. And then one of them stopped, stopped, and started to read lines from a particular page. And became pale and very, very emotional. Rabbi Tait says, Vas, Vas, what? And the Chassid says, Look, a knech. On this page is a knech. You know what a knech is? A knech is a fold. You know, sometimes in a sefer you have a page that's folded. In Yiddish, this is called a knech, or in English, a fold. One of the pages was folded. A knech. So Rabbi Tait says, okay, a knech. You know, people that use svarim a lot, right? Sometimes they want to hold a place, so they make a knech, they make a fold, they can come back there. Or if the user, if you just from frequent using, sometimes the pages bend or fold. The person says, no, you don't understand. This is a fold because here is the answer from the Rebbe. He says, what answer from the Rebbe? And the man tells him, as you know, a little while ago, we heard the news that the government 
is accepting some requests of citizens for visas and passports and permission to leave the country. And the question was, should we apply for these visas? Because it's very risky in Russia. You can apply and strike lucky and leave. You can apply and then you're accused of being a counter-revolutionaire, of being somebody who's opposed to the government, somebody who hates Russia, somebody who wants to leave, and you could be sent to Siberia for applying for a visa. So we did not know, should we apply, should we not apply? So we wrote a letter to the Rebbe, but there was no way you could send such a letter to New York. Should I apply for a visa to leave Russia? So what did we do? We wrote a letter and we put it into a Tanya. Here, in this Tanya is the answer. Look, the page is folded. Rabbi Tait says, where is there an answer? He says, read what it says in the Tanya. That page in Tanya, it said, that when you confront, every person has in him negativity. Every human being has in him or her a Yetzirah. Every person in him or her has sometimes darkness. And when you see it coming out, what do you have to do? You have to run away as fast as possible. Run, run as fast as you can. The Chassid said, this is the answer. When you see evil is here and you could run, run. I have to apply for a visa. Rabbi Tais was very, very suspicious. He's thinking to himself, this man is going to put himself in danger and apply for a visa to leave Russia because it says in Tanya that you have to run away from evil and there's a fold on the page. He couldn't accept it. On the other hand, I'll speak loud, on the other hand, on the other hand, to tell the Jew not to apply for the visa, how can he take responsibility? Maybe this Jew will get out, and as a result of his suggestion, the Jew will remain stuck in Russia. So he decided, as the Gemara often says, Shev Valtasa Adif, better I'll be passive, I won't do anything. I won't say anything. He bids them farewell. He takes the Tanya and he goes on to the next city. In the next city, he once again meets a group of Chabad Hasidim. He arranges for a meeting with them in the park at a particular day, at a particular hour, and the story repeats itself. When nobody is looking, they sit down. He takes out a Tanya, he says, I was by the Rebbe and he gave me something special for you. They can't believe that it's the Rebbe's Tanya. One of them says, I wasn't in the mikveh, I can't touch it. Somebody finally takes it, starts turning the pages, goes further in the Tanya with tremendous yiras hakavah, tremendous respect. And suddenly the man stops short. And again, he's very, very emotional. Rav Tait says, Vasagashen. The man says, look, the Rebbe's answer. To me, what answer? He points to the page, he says, Aknech! He went to another page in Tanya that had a second fold. Rav Taitz is thinking to himself, Oh my God, what's going on here? What answer? And the man says, The same story. As you know, now people are applying. The question was to apply or not to apply. I knew I can't send a letter to New York. I put a question in the Tanya. And here is the answer. You say to the Rebbe's Tanya, here is the fault. What does it say there on that page in Tanya? In that page in Tanya it says that in life, sometimes you can take the negativity, the darkness, the Yetzirah, the evil that's in you, and transform it into goodness. You can change it around and use it for the good. Some things in your life you have to run away from. Some things in your life you could transform and use for good. Because even the greatest darkness that you have in your life has in it a spark of goodness 
and you could you turn it around. Ah, this is my answer. The Rebbe is saying that somehow I have to remain here and transform my situation to the best of my ability into a positive experience. Not to run away, to remain in Russia. And Rav Taitz is thinking to himself, this Jew is not going to apply for a visa based on a fold on a page that the Rebbe probably made maybe 10 years ago when he was learning the Tanya. How can, how can, how can he think this way? He wants to tell him, no, no. But then again, how can he take responsibility? And what if he applies for a visa and gets arrested? Again, he says nothing. But he's thinking to himself, you know, this is mamish great. Because if you learn Tanya, you know, half of the Tanya basically says, run away from evil. And the other half of Tanya says, transform it. So half of the Tanya says, get out of Russia. And the other half of Tanya says, stay in Russia. You know, this is awesome. But he's quiet. He keeps his thoughts to himself. Closes the Tanya. And when he closes the Tanya, he says goodbye to them. Or leaves them the Tanya. Or goes to another city. He concludes his visit a few weeks later. Returns to the United States. As always, he comes to New York. He pays a second visit by the Rebbe to give a report. He's in the Rebbe's room and he shares everything that occurred in Russia. He decides to himself that he's not going to talk to the Rebbe about what happened with the Tanya very painful for him and he felt that the Rebbe is going to be very sad to know that because of the folds on the pages these Jews decided to apply for a visa or not to apply for a visa the Rebbe carries enough responsibility on his shoulders why burden him with these responsibilities that he might feel guilty or he might feel upset or he might feel agitated about that they're making such major decisions based on the knech, based on the fold. So he decides not to bring up the topic. In the middle of the conversation he sees that the Rebbe is looking to hear something. He doesn't know what, he's quiet. Finally, after they discussed everything, the Rebbe turns to him politely and he says, Did you have a chance to take the Tanya's? They're talking, they're conversing in Yiddish. So he says, yes. Did you have a chance to give it over to the Hasidim in the different cities that you visited? He says, yes. I showed him the Tanya. And then Abba looks at him and asks this question in Yiddish. He says, the Knechen Habenzegizen, did they see the Knechen did they see the folds on the pages? And that moment, Rabbi Taitz, who shared the story, said that moment he understood something of the relationship between a chassid and a rebbe. Because sometimes a rebbe communicates in words. Sometimes a rebbe communicates in writing. Sometimes the Rebbe communicates through eyes. Sometimes the Rebbe communicates with a gesture of his arm or hand. And sometimes the Rebbe communicates through a knesh, through a fold in the page.
focusing on what the Rebbe taught you and me and all of us about our life, about our existence, about ourselves, about our responsibilities, about our gifts, about our privileges. And we don't have to look for a fold in a page. But rather, I sat in your place here for many, 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 many years when I was your age and a lot younger. And had the privilege of hearing and being at many rallies, many kinusim, in which the Rebbe stood right here and addressed all the children. And what did he say? He said many things, but I want to focus on a few. Messages that you can take away, and you will take away for yourselves, in your own heart, in your own soul. Number one, I don't know if I could say this eloquently enough, but the love, and the trust, and the belief that the Rebbe had in you, in children, was undescribable. You know, lots of people, as you know, <laughs> are annoyed by, by children, right? You ever hear somebody say, quiet, quiet, we need quiet in the room. Go play in another room. You ever heard that? Go play in another room. Go to the basement. Go outside and ride your bike. The Rebbe, Mamish loved you. He loved children. He loved children with every fiber of his being. He loved children. He believed in children. He loved spending time with children. And he was happy around children and being with children. Because he believed so much in young people. In young boys. In young girls. Not only that, usually... When you want to create an army, who do you create an army from? You create an army from tall, strong, trained soldiers. 
When the Rebbe wanted to create an army, who did he choose? He could have chosen 40-year-old Alta, whatever the word is. Or 30-year-old or 20-year-old. Guys, who did he choose? Who did he create an army? He chose Tzivus Hashem. He said, who are the main fighters in Hashem's army? He created an army out of young boys, young Jewish men and young Jewish women. Ingalach and Unbelievable. Why? Why did he create an army from you? He created an army from you because he felt very strongly and knew very strongly that if you want the war to be won, if you want the battle to succeed, if you want to bring Hashem back into this world and bring redemption to the world, you need a good army. You need an army that you can trust. Who can you really trust? You can trust you and you and you and you. You can trust. So here's the story. But the story needs a little introduction. The story is about a man named Joseph, Yosef Kabiliv. Yosef Kabiliv served as a soldier in the Israeli army. One day, in the early 1970s, he's patrolling the Golan Heights. The Golan Heights, Ramat HaGolan, Israel took back from Syria in 1967 during the Six-Day War. Israel liberated Yerushalayim, many other territories, including the Golan Heights in the north of Eretz Yisrael, which was under Syrian control. Until today, there are many beautiful Jewish cities, settlements, Yeshuvim, and cities in the Golan. I've been there many times. And this soldier, Yosef Kabiliv, was patrolling, and unfortunately, he went on, his jeep went on to a uh, mine. It exploded. He was hospitalized. This was around the time of the Yom Kippur War. It happened Yom Kippur. The sergeant was saying All our men to serve young mottles from all those young mottles that were drafted to war this Joseph this Yosef was wounded badly taken to the hospital and when he woke up one morning in his hospital bed it was the Rambam hospital in the city of Haifa he remembered nothing of the circumstances 
that brought him into the hospital. All he felt was excruciating pain in his legs. But the discovery that followed was far more horrendous, horrendous than the pain. He lifted up his sheet and he realized that both of his legs had been amputated. The right leg at the knee and the left one at the mid-thigh. What happened? He was serving in the army, went onto the mine. His legs were so crushed as a result of the explosion, the doctors tragically had no alternative and in order to save his life had to amputate the legs. The period that followed was terribly devastating. He made it home, but he could not move he could not function as an ordinary person. His parents were broken. His mother would cry all day. His father was just silent. The friends that came to visit him didn't know what to tell him. So they came, they sat, they looked in all directions. You know when you're uncomfortable with somebody. They looked in all directions, but they couldn't look him in the eyes. And at the first opportunity they had, they stood up and they said goodbye and they left. He felt a lot of anger, not just because of his situation, but anger towards the country. That the country that he sacrificed his life for could not help him during this time when he needed so much help. His own family, his own friends, his own country could not do anything for him emotionally. His life became a bitter, cynical and negative experience. A few years later, it was the summer of Tavshin Lamed Vav, 1976. A group of wounded soldiers of Tzahal came for a visit here to America. The army sponsored a fun tour for them. And one of them, one of the people organizing the tour suggested that as they come to New York, one of the places they should come visit is right here, this shul. And in the summer, the month of Av, Dafshan Lamedvav, around 150 wounded soldiers in wheelchairs came down here, downstairs in 770, they closed up the shul. And the wheelchairs lined up the whole that side of the shul. And the Rebbe came down to greet them and to speak to them. The Rebbe sat up there on the stage. The wheelchairs were set up. The Rebbe spoke to them in Hebrew and he started by apologizing. He said, I'm going to speak Hebrew like an Ashkenazi with an Ashkenazic accent. So you'll forgive me. I'm not going to speak with a Sephardic accent because I'm not accustomed to it. I'm accustomed to an Ashkenazic accent. You know the difference? An Ashkenazic accent will be and so many differences in accent, pronunciation. He spoke to them and one of the things that Rebbe said then was that by a Jew, the guf, the body, is very, very important. But the guf is always an extension of the neshama. The most important thing you have to know is that you have a soul. And the body is here to help and serve the neshama, the soul. So the body is here for the soul, the soul is not here for the body. And therefore, even when the body has limitations, and their bodies, of course, were badly wounded, you have to know that the soul is as powerful as ever, and therefore the limitations of the body cannot stop you from fulfilling what you are capable of fulfilling in this world. And to the contrary, because you're missing 
some possibilities in your body, it means that Hashem has given you a lot extra in your neshama to compensate for the challenges you have in your body. And therefore, he says, as a good Jew, we mix into other people's business. I'm sure some of your friends tell you sometimes, don't mix into my business. So the Rebbe said, I'm a good Jew, I'm going to mix into your business. The name that Israel gives these soldiers is, you know the name in Hebrew? Nachei Sahal. Nachei means the invalids. People that have physical limitations. They can't walk, they're missing limbs, they're wounded, they're in wheelchairs. They're called Nechei Tzahal. The invalids of Tzahal Tzva Haganali Israel. He said, I suggest changing the name. You're not invalids of Tzahal. The name has to be Mitsuyanei Tzahal. Mitsuyanei Tzahal means the exceptional of Tzahal. It's not just to make you feel good, you know, we're going to be nice, you're great. But it's true. Because as we said, if you're missing something in the body, it means that you were given special powers in your soul, in your ruchnius, in your spiritual essence. Far greater than any other ordinary person who is fully healthy in their body. And therefore it's a very real name, it's Yanei He spoke more and then he said, I want to ask you permission to go over to each of you and give you a dollar to give for tzedakah. And when the Rebbe finished the sikha, usually people came up to the Rebbe to receive a dollar. Here he came down the steps and in a very special moment he walked over to every single wheelchair. And he looked every soldier in the eyes and he gave him a dollar to give for tzedakah and he said something to every single one. Initially people thought he said the same thing to everybody. But later we found out that he said something different to everyone. One of the soldiers sitting there was whom? Our friend Yosef. Yosef was obviously wheelchair bound, bitter, angry, upset, cynical, already a long time as I described above. And then the Rebbe came over to him. And the Rebbe shook hands with every one of the soldiers. And the Rebbe took the hands of Yosef and he placed them in his own holy palms and he held it tightly and warmly he looked them in the eyes and said two words what were the two words? the two words were thank you thank you Or as we say in Hebrew, Toda, Toda Rabbah, thank you very much. This was a thank you for what he did for the Jewish people. It was a thank you for the sacrifice he made for Eretz Yisrael and for Am Yisrael. And Yosef said, that's what I was waiting for. I was waiting for somebody to look me in the eyes and just say thank you. Thank you for what you have given. Thank you for your sacrifice. He shared the story a few years ago. He said that thank you took me back home to Israel and gave me a new lease on life. He's now a very successful real estate developer. And every morning when I wake up, he said, and I take a look at my body and sometimes I feel that my life is over, my life is lost, I'm incapable of doing what a regular person should be able to do. I remember the gaze and I remember the thank you. And that gives me a new vitality, a new chayis, a new inspiration to move on. I tell you this story for two reasons. First of all, 
I want you to learn how to say thank you in your life. Don't be afraid. I want you to learn how to turn to somebody, look them in their eyes, and say thank you. And by the way, that could be even your teacher. Especially, especially as the year is coming to an end. And it can even be your mother and your father. And it can even be somebody you don't know well. And when you say thank you, don't look away. But I want to say something else. I want to say something else. I want to say to you, thank you. I want to say to each and every one of you sitting here, and to each of every one of you hearing, these words, or that will hear these words, I want to say to you, thank you for, for, for being who you are, for being on the front lines of the war as the foot soldiers in the front lines of the Tzivus Hashem to defeat the Yetzirah and to defeat the darkness in the world I want to say thank you that after all these years you make a lot of sacrifices to live up to the calling of every Jewish child as Hashem's personal ambassadors and soldiers to the world, keep it up and thank you. Yeah, 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 yeah
to tell you one more story. I love this story and I think you might also. Once, once, listen to this. And I'm going to need your help and some information here. Are there, is there anybody here in the crowd, any of you who know how to paint? Paint pictures, any artists? Okay. How about, is there anybody here who knows how to take pictures? Okay. Now listen, I, 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 I know neither. I'm not a photographer and I'm not an artist. At least not when it comes to pictures. So I'm going to need your help in this story. So there was once a young man, a little older than you, a little older, a young teenager who went in, who went in, for a Yechidus, he went in to visit the Rebbe. And he asked the Rebbe a question. And the question was, why is he often so not in the mood of doing the right thing? Why can't he always be in the mood of doing the right thing? Somebody asks me for a favor, I'm not in the mood of doing it. Hashem wants me to talk to him, Davin, have a relationship with him, I'm not in the mood. Learning, I'm not in the mood. Doing a mitzvah, why can't I always be in the mood? It's a good question, right? So the Rebbe told him, this is the difference between malachim and people. Angels, malachim, always want to do the best thing. A person has a war going on, we have different sides, we have different moods. Sometimes I wake up on my right side, sometimes I wake up on my left side. Sometimes my Yetzirah speaks, sometimes my Yetzirah speaks. Sometimes my selfish side speaks, and sometimes my godly side speaks. Sometimes my brain speaks, and sometimes my heart speaks. We have lots of people talking in us. And the power of a person is to make decisions. To make decisions. So the boy asked the Rebbe, wouldn't Hashem be much happier if He would have created us like angels? So the Rebbe asked the boy, what do you do as a hobby after school? He said, I draw pictures, I want to be an artist. So he says, I have a question. Do you know any great artists? And he named off some of the great artists. He says that if you go into an art gallery, and you buy an original painting of a great artist, a popular, world-renowned artist. How much does it cost? And the boy said, it could cost $3 million. 
or whatever their number he gave. So the Rebbe said, I have a question. If you were to take a camera and go to that place where he drew the painting, let's say he draws the painting of uh, children playing by the sand near a beach, and the sun is setting, and you went and you took a picture of the same scene, how much would that picture cost? He said, 35 cents. It's called a postcard. So the Rebbe asked, now I have a question. Which is more accurate? The photo or the painting? Very well, thank you. The photo. She said, it's not fair. The photo is more accurate than it costs 35 cents. And the painting is less accurate and it costs... Three million dollars. Who is Yosher? Who is Justice? So the boy looked at the Rebbe and says, Come on, let me explain this to you. And he explains the Rebbe, to the Rebbe the difference. He says, What's a picture? A picture is dead. You take a camera. Today it's a digital. Then there was a regular camera with, uh, you don't even know, all of our shalom. You had, to deposit, you had to develop the films in a dark room. You take a picture, and what is it? You have it's accurate, but it's dead. So it's 35 cents. A painting is not just a picture. The artist looks at it. And then he experiences it in his mind and his soul. And then he has the chush of taking the live experience and putting it on canvas. And he puts his whole soul and heart and genius into it. You have there his creativity, his depth, his, ability, his art capacity. That cost three million dollars. The Rebbe smiled and said, and that's the difference between angels and people. An angel always does the right thing. He always does the thing, everything accurately. He's like Hashem's photo. A person is Hashem's art. We don't do it accurately. We don't always get it right. But we have to put our heart into it. We have to make choices. Our soul is there. Our passion is there. Our heart is there. We have to choose. We sometimes have to struggle. Hashem looks at your life. This is a piece of art. It's worth three million and far more. So, Kinderlach, I want to conclude and tell you this, and that is, if there's one great message the Rebbe taught always was, see your life as a piece of art, and see every moment of your life as a piece of art. Don't be perfect, but put your soul into your life. Put your heart into your life, because your life is a gift of art. And every decision you make is a gift of art to Hashem. A gift of art that will light up the world with your art. And bring the Geula Shlema to our world. Thank you very much. This class is brought to you by the yeshiva.net. Please help us continue the classes. Make even a small contribution at www.theyeshiva.net slash donate.